0: Hello and welcome back to the uh, 10th, male 10th, 10th trademark podcast of this year. We promised we'd do one a month. we failed disastrously. Uh, This is our 10th, I think, but uh, we've been very busy the last two months. I think this is the first time we've actually sat together in the same room in about two months. And the only reason why we're here is because it's a staff Christmas party. And in honour of that, I suppose I'm going to open my first (laughs) first can of the day. Um, and of course, we're here today to talk about the elections, reflections on the elections. Um, I'm joined again by the very Reverend Dr. Sean Byers and Mel Corrie M. Phil, Lion of Logan. No. <laughs> uh, and we're going to have a half an hour discussion, reflection on the, on the very important elections that have t- taken place in this very this United kingdom. Sean Byers is going to lead us off today with the questions and some uh, direction in the discussion. So, Sean, mm. I'm just going to hand over to you,
1: mate. So, lads, well, we're sitting here a week of the day after uh the election after a massive win for the Tories and a crushing defeat for Labour uh Mel uh in the lead up to the election in the couple of days leading up to the election you were confidently predicting a landslide majority for the Tories and on the day of the election you talked yourself out of it uh what were the reasons for that
2: um well i did predict um brexit uh i I could Uh, see the way that was going just by just by having me ear to the ground you you
0: predicted trump as well
2: predicted trump um and i you know they were all gut feelings about you know stuff that you pick up from people that you know on the ground Uh, and i had the same sort of instinctive approach to the most recent general election, but um, I just couldn't bring myself to, I couldn't bring myself to come out and openly give a prediction. It was just so unpalatable. And I was just watching with joy all the great activity that was going on around um, Labour canvassing and particularly in the south of England. And and I thought maybe just, you know, maybe we dare to hope. Uh, So it was really out of loyalty and not wanting to sort of I don't want to pr- predict, you know, hell and and uh, more misery for the next five years. It's, you know, I'd like I'm to... I'm very ris- disappointed,
0: Mel, that you didn't provide a concrete analysis of a concrete situation uh, as It should be in your tradition up until the day itself. Uh, I did in my own head.
1: When you became a fucking liberal
0: <laughs> on the day of the election.
1: I didn't know it was just your gut feeling that was leading you to pr- make these predictions. I <laughs> thought it was concrete analysis. <laughs> yeah, clearly
0: not. Don't ask him any more questions, John. <laughs>
1: so, Stevie, uh, my, well, my,
0: i remember that the, the thing about the day itself the thing that struck me was that regardless of what you thought about the, what you thought the outcome was going to be when the exit polls came through at 10 o'clock it was a real fucking kick in the balls wasn't it because even mm. you're still kind of holding out hope you might you knew they'd lose but you, you're thinking well they'll lose by a couple of seats there might be a home parliament maybe they'll lose you No, know, maybe his majority will be smaller but mm. the exit poll was really just fuck me
1: i watched right through the night and the hope that the <laughs> they it was, were wrong, it was wrong. No, and all mean. of those old Labour seats were falling and I was mm-hmm. going well maybe it won't be so bad <laughs> just drank myself through the night uh so Stevie what what went wrong
0: um what went wrong the what went wrong was um actually, there's loads of analysis isn't there both where whether people say it's, it was the mainstream media vilification of Corbyn and I mean that happened last time in 2017 you can argue it's slightly worse this time with the the anti-semitism kind of campaign against the party and against Corbyn in particular but the conditions of 2017 and 2019 when you compare them they were were kind of quite similar you know in 2017 the PLP was in revolt didn't have that in 2019 but you had vilification of Labour you had a left-wing manifesto the difference between 2017 and 2019 quite clearly was the position on the referendum they had a strong position in 2017 to respect the referendum and they changed it and they became a Remain party in all but name really so Anyone that says that wasn't the reason for the election is a fucking idiot. Everyone knows that's the reason for the, for the collapse. Um, and so it's quite clear to me that's the, the position that, what do they call it now, the pivot to remain, I think that's the phrase we're all using. That pivot to remain was, and the second referendum was clearly the reason for the collapse in their vote. And all of the stats prove it. And what was it, 47 seats lost, 43 in leave areas. Well, no, I'm not a statistician, but that seems fairly fucking obvious to me.
2: Yeah, I think coupled with, with um, the non-performance of the Lib Dems, clearly shows that um, the mood was... It was a Brexit election. Um, and for me, it was always going to be that. you know that the
0: sun- There was a, was a, a Comrades poll back in November that showed that something like 50, I know, 54% of Remainers wanted to respect the result of the referendum. Yeah. I mean, so even that doesn't work. That's why the Liberal Democrats get Brexit, get rid of Brexit, all the rest of it. was never going to fucking happen. There's an, an argument, work, electorally.
1: there's an argument for saying that Remainers probably would have accepted some sort of compromise, some sort of deal, which would have been, like I mean, remain voters, which would have been remain and all but name. So some, some common market deal, something along those lines, even a, a slightly mm. improved version of May's deal, they probably would have accepted, most remainers probably would have accepted that. Um, so the problem was then, Labour opening the door mm-hmm. to, to a second referendum and probably, Mel, as you've as you've suggested, uh, overestimating the threat that the Lib Dems posed.
0: That whole story about them living in a Westminster bubble seems to prove itself to be true. I remember contacting a well I remember back in October reading, you know, the um, Leave Fight Transform left left campaign yeah. website or Twitter or something. They had an article on it and it was um back in the second referendum, hands the next ten years to the right. So that was a headline. I read it was a good article, and you kind of knew then that the Corbyn moment, or that shift to the left, um, if it can't be saved, and we'll talk about that, mm. that it was nearly over at that point. Certainly, they were never going to win an election after October, after they took that decision. And I, made, I phoned a mate, or a twi- I tweeted a mate, about two weeks before the election, and his exact quote was, and I'll read it, he said, I said, what do you reckon, mate? He said, substantial Labour defeat, and that was two weeks before, because... You know, he, he's over there and he's, he's reading it on the ground. He knows he's Labour campus, He's out in the streets talking to people. He lives in London, but he's up in Manchester at the moment. So, so many people knew what was actually going to happen. You know, it was it was yeah, but, fucking I mean, predictable.
2: I mean, that that begs the question: Are we, you know, in a social media sort of bubble. left um, bubble? You know, that, that the doesn't honest,
1: reflect the you, Yes, does it? I think it demonstrated to me that that. What's happening on social media often is so far removed from the reality on the ground. um, Particularly outside of London. Um, Just to play devil's advocate. uh, Could Labour have ever won the general election around the issue of Brexit? Say it hadn't opened the door to a second referendum. It hadn't moved in that direction of Remain. Could it, think, could it have won the general election of, or was it think, always doomed yeah. to fail if uh, you think
0: of how the parties looked towards the end where you had this kind of what, what was presented as a dithering Labour party with no clear policy that had um, broken the will of the people by backing a second referendum and you know all that versus Boris fucking Johnson you know Defeffel Johnson becoming the anti-establishment party and he, mm-hmm. he was able to position himself as anti-elite anti-establishment against this kind of Labour London-based cosmopolitan whatever you want to call it elite um, that 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 was the reason why he won and that only happened since September before that Labour were applied party that was going to respect the referendum so there was a chance certainly they would have been a lot closer to him than they were whether I think the hung parliament was on the off in back in August at least I don't think there would have been a Labour majority maybe because I mean some of those Labour seats and there has been some good analysis of that some of those northern Labour seats have been in decline for a long time it wasn't just about Brexit in the sense of that was it I mean Bishop Auckland, someone showed me, went from the average over the last 50 years, has been about 10,000 Labour majority. In 2017, it was 500, mm. you know, and under Blair, it was like 27,000 majority. So there have been a, there's been a long-term decline in the Labour share of some of those northern, you know, de-industrialised areas. So yeah. that decline's been happening for a long time. You know? I think,
1: yeah, I think we'll, we'll get on that in a wee bit more detail. Um, we've spoken of Corbin, and this is, this is something I take no, no joy in raising. Um, but to what extent did it come down to to Corbyn, his leadership, or at least how he was presented, um, and therefore received by by sections of the electorate? Now?
2: Well, I don't think we can ignore that that conversation. It has to be had, um, uh, because I mean, we're, you know, you're in danger of of uh, playing the establishment media's game of of demonising one particular person. The bigger question is, is it, you know, is, is Corbynism as opposed to Corbyn? Mm. And um, n- none of us wanted to get into that game of, of, of demonising one person. But if, if you, you move that on a step to what, what Corbyn represented, um, the difference in the manifesto uh, this year to the, the 2017 manifesto, people are saying it wasn't clear enough, even, mm. even Corbyn's great detractors are saying. There's not much in the um, in the manifesto that we would disagree with, uh, but it was all about how Corbyn was portrayed and how ordinary working class people, and um, probably in Leave constituencies, mm. um, that didn't warm to him in the way that they did in, in uh, twenty seventeen, and yeah. there's a there's also a sense that uh, you know uh, Corbyn had come at that particular time from. Um, the backbenchers to rise to the position of leader in the Labour Party without the English um, elected really knowing much about him. We knew about him here in, in Ireland, of course, because, you know, moving in the circles that we do, he's always been seen to be supportive of, of um, uh, the underdog uh, and and we wee bit left field. Uh, so it was no surprise to us. Um, but I think the media's job and, you know, the him as a as an anti seamate I mean they just persisted against all the the um, all the evidence. You know, at one time he was a Czech spy and a KGB plant. I mean just all the usual stuff.
1: They were blatant, doing it blatantly and succeeding. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I they don't be-
0: think you can avoid. And I don't like doing it either. But I, know what you mean, but I don't think you can avoid the issue of leadership as opposed to the issue of pre- his re- his presentation or representation in the mainstream media. Yeah. The, Clearly, there were mistakes made in the leadership. Now, whether he didn't go far enough in democratizing the party, in taking real control of the PLP and mandatory these elections and stuff like that, that could have been another step in the in the process of actually turning into a fully democratic party. He never had control of his cabinet. They were constantly fucking briefing and leaking against each other all of the time. I mean, man, Keir Starmer was was on TV like every day saying the complete opposite to what the the cabinet's shadow cabinet's position was supposed to be. And then you had Macdonald really pulling the party over to remain there in the last three or four months you know so that that's an issue around leadership and he, yeah. you know you can blame him for that but he has to take some responsibility for not making it and not showing it. and he should have done those people in they should have been done in the plp and he never, he, he never did he, it you know so when he received
1: the, that increased mandate in the second leadership election that was his opportunity to yeah. to face those opponents those dissenters within the plp down um or just Select them, replace them. So, those are issues yeah. of leadership rather than yeah. issues
0: of representation in the mainstream yeah. media. So, you have to take criticism. But his t- to his, team,
1: his yeah. team, I suppose, mm. rather than the man himself, probably has to take uh, responsibility yeah. for that. We spoke of the very few differences that there were between 2017 and 19, And it was written in an article by, I think, it was Richard Seymour um, this morning, who suggests that. One of the key differences between 2017 and 2019 is that by 2019 the Labour leadership and by extension Corbyn came to be seen as part of the Westminster problem. Part of a conspiracy within Westminster to prevent Brexit. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they, they came to be mm-hmm. part of the problem of
0: frustrating the democratic will of yeah. the two thousand sixteen referendum. And, Regardless you know, of their motivations. Yeah, yeah that's, the, look, the, look the, problem, the problem with the problem with the Remain camp is that in, in, in admitting that that's what happened. Is that they became so obsessed with losing the two thousand sixteen vote, the referendum that they couldn't they don't they couldn't think or, or think beyond that or something, and their analysis kind of fell apart after that fact. You know. Mm. Um, and that's what happened with the Labour Party in the leadership. They were in that Westminster bubble and they didn't see what was happening. And clearly loads of other people saw what was happening around the country leading up to that election. Because mm-hmm. I could like give you a list of predictions over the last four or five months from loads of people saying there's going to be a massive defeat here. Yeah. But no one seemed to know it in the centre of that party. You know, someone said once it was a bit like Hitler's bunker apparently at the end that they kind of withdrew almost from their own party. That we leadership cabal kind of withdrew from the party and was sitting in there. Even now and again, they were just throwing out another manifesto idea. Mm-hmm. Broadband communism, you know, yeah. I know it's portrayed like that, but just was yeah. throwing things out, just, hoping it would yeah. stick. Yeah. yeah, And that was perceived but by just, a lot of people who yeah, to buy you their can, votes. You
2: can't ignore the fact that the, the Labour Party is an amalgam and, are, and you know, a very broad church. Um, and the, the role of... of organised labour and trade unions and how they were able to, I mean if you even look at Blair last night um, uh, When he uh, was asked on news thing. night, you know, how much of a factor was Len McCluskey in Corbyn's defeat? And he was saying well, obviously he played a part, you know, as part of this left-wing cabal and you know it's, And it's bad for trade union members I mean look at a union like Osda, which is doing very well. They just come out openly and said it mm-hmm. um, you know, so And those, there were, there were, you know, there's a sense that trade union members of the Labour Party, um, operating in their own silos, separate from the the Parliamentary Labour Party, and then the political cabals that try and sort of marry all those different elements together. But then also
0: the vast membership of the trade union that voted. Tory. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's a huge proportion of our yeah. movement that voted Conservatives quite clearly yeah. in the last yeah. thing. But, but more importantly than that, there's vast numbers of working class people out there who aren't members of unions anymore. Yeah. That's another massive but issue. But they, they also voted leave it. in
2: the referendum. Exactly. In vast yeah. numbers. Yeah. Absolutely. And we we didn't really have much of a policy discussion in the trade union movement around the merits and demerits at the time of the referendum. And I think, you know, there's the, 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 the trade unions need to really sort of examine where we are in relation to our membership as well, in the light of all of this.
1: just going to pull together a couple of points that you made. Um, Mel, you mentioned Len McCluskey. McCluskey actually criticised in the lead up to the election, criticised what he called policy incontinence. Um, and that comes back mm-hmm. to your point, yeah. Stevie, where they were throwing out policies mm-hmm. as cu- uh, as quickly as they could, in as, in as great number as they could. Um, they were all, it was just a barrage of policies. Mm-hmm. They're all good policies, they're all very popular, they were transformative, mm-hmm. but um, when it comes down to it, there's probably too many of them, um, and not enough work done behind them. Um, for example, you look at the four-day week, some of the advocates of the four-day week um, were slaughtered when they went on the TV, because they said, mm-hmm. well, how this, how's this going to work in the NHS, for mm-hmm. example? How's it going to work in schools? How's it going to work with... Uh, precarious workers, workers. Yeah, precarious workers yeah. part
0: time workers workers on reduced hours who want more hours who don't want a four day week they want a five and a half day week so, so it's it is cost it is,
1: uh, is McCluskey's criticism valid when you contrast it to Boris Johnson who did absolutely no policy work but focused the election mm. on one simple message get Brexit done and that's absolutely. that's I mean, the one thing that at, people if remember
0: at, if you look at the Conservative manifesto there was nothing in it practically yeah, empty. nothing I mean, it was empty of, of it was just get Brexit done. And yeah. they knew that Cummins is, knew that right. one narrative, yeah. one simple message, people were pissed off, people are frustrated. The one thing you heard all the time, and I remember speaking to campuses um, in the north of England was um, that get Brexit done thing. And, but the, the thing they also was we've been, been waiting for three years now, we've been waiting for three years now. And that frustration, mm-hmm. that three year wait to, to get Brexit done was became almost like a mantra for working class people across the country. Yeah. So they were impervious to all these new policies. They weren't, they didn't care. Doesn't matter what you threw at them; they were impervious. To it it was it did become about getting Brexit done, and, and, and that was the uh, that was the weather vein of the English, particularly the English population, and it worked. And the tories, that's, the that's tories what parliamentary
2: it. politics has been reduced to mm. the world over: is soundbite, and who's got the best message. All political parties now are engaged in consultants and what, how do you, how do you do messaging how do you connect with people yeah, but
0: this message was based upon the result of a of a huge referendum result mm. that 's the difference here. Mm-hmm. no they, 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 the people felt that whether you agree with it or not whether you think it was a for a Romaniac, you think it was a racist referendum, but for the people who voted in it increasingly it was it was a democratic will of the yeah. british well, population So i, I think part of, the,
2: part of the problem about about uh, um, Labour losing working class votes predates Corbyn and Corbynism mm. and goes right back to the to the um, the referendum because p- those people had been abandoned by New Labour, by Blair mm-hmm. and Brown and, and all of those people. They, they, you know, Labour was lost at that stage and the one chance that the English working class generally got a chance to kick back was when they were given one question mm-hmm. in a referendum and the traditional instincts... Yeah, well, we'll we'll kick back at the establishment, vote leave, and then they're told immediately after that they're thick, stupid, and racist, mm-hmm. and that their vote doesn't count. And for three years, it's beat into them. And what are they going to do? They're going to come back at the person who's ambiguous on the issue, mm-hmm. and that soundbite works and resonates. Not even with ambiguous.
0: I mean, like Labour's, Labour, became a party of Remain and all but nine towards the end. That was that was the. Yeah,
2: but I don't think there's any doubt in terms of Jeremy Corbyn's. Credentials that he yeah.
0: he's a, a best eurosceptic
1: mm. oh, no doubt, um, yeah. I think we were we were all drawn in the sections of the left in in Ireland even were drawn into the phenomenon of Corbynism the enthusiasm that it generated the sort of hope that it created the the opportunities that that it indicated um, and. Yeah, the sort of transformative direction that it was pointing in um but if you stand back now and this comes back to what you were saying mel about the decline of labor industrially and politically over the past 40 years corbynism is an aberration really in that longer term process isn't it
0: yeah but there's also the i mean i know it, i know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it doesn't really work in first past the post electoral systems that Labour's share of the vote was still very high about 10 million votes or something compared to 12 million in 2017. I mean, there's still a very high capture. They've still got a load of people to go into those boxes and put X next to Labour. So they've declined in those traditional de industrialised areas massively over a lot, but they have also grown in other areas as well. The, the picture's far more complex mm. than the one we're painting of it. you know, Westminster, even I've said it myself, Westminster bubbles versus Northern Heartlands. There's some truth to that, but it's also a more diverse picture. You think of Liverpool, you think of parts of Birmingham, I mean, think of Newcastle and up. Those those they solidly red. I mean, Liverpool was fucking marvellous, but the rest of the country wasn't. But like that's it. the
2: other story. The other story is big cities, metropolitan centres versus mm. um, small towns and villages. And mm. um, former mining towns. Yeah, exactly. The beast yeah. of Bolsover no more. Mm-hmm. After you know a lifetime of service to um, the British working class, done in. And, and the class-based
1: analysis doesn't say either or it just says it recognizes mm-hmm. that labor has lost sections of the working class yeah. however you define it um and that needs to be built on yeah. so that leads to the next question i suppose what next hold the end seven o'clock <laughs> <laughs> no, what what next yeah, does it come back does it come back to just rebuilding the trade union movement rebuilding working class community mm-hmm. organizations Political education. I think it's the clear. longer process of combating the right within within the Labour Party. I think
2: it's clear that they, they, they still they still see Corbynism as something that they need to they need to deal with. Um, and if you see what's happened this morning on on uh, on the news programs, just all to attack on Rebecca Long Bailey um, as the closest uh, potential candidate to, to Corbyn and you've got uh, uh, Emily Thornbreed declaring her hand. Um, so, the, you know, the, 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 and they've started on, on Rebecca Long-Bailey as, uh, you know, the continuation of Corbynism. Has she got the ability? Has she got the experience and all that sort of stuff? So again, Labour members who so have the vote um, will have to deal with well, if they don't fit in with the press um, and the establishment's mould. Uh, the attack will continue.
0: I think the biggest the biggest shift there, just on the I know it's not kind of a related point, is that you expect to be attacked by a billionaire owning so called free press. The difference this time around is the shift in what the BBC was at to mm. the kinds of, you know, moving away from kind of hegemony and controlling that kind of common sense understanding of how the world works by putting out certain soft narratives, shifting over to outright propaganda. Yeah. You know, that was the big thing this time around and getting away with it. The fact that Hugh Ed was had to produce a, a blog post saying, well, we're not really biased, you know, I and mean, that itself was proof that they are the fact that they had to get one of their... Russia Today dentists.
1: would be proud of what the BBC <laughs> got away with. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: yeah. No, but but we, have, we, we can't expect a socialist not to come under attack from billionaire press. We've been at it for 150 years. Why would it be any different in 2019? So we can complain about that, whine about that, but that's gonna, always going to be there. We cannot control mainstream media narratives. Yeah. So it does come back down to everything you said, Sean. There is nothing new under the sun. It's organizing in communities. Being in communities, it's political educators, all of those things you mentioned. There's no, there's no fucking magic bullet here. You don't build socialism with, as yeah. you said, Mel, with PR consultants yeah. and gurus and, and fucking middle class social media mm. commentators. You build it yeah. in communities. The communities yeah. have voted Leave and the communities that recently voted Tory. And
2: we, you know, it ultimately, I mean, we will have to convince people that the rich will never allow to, us to vote away their, their wealth and privilege. You know, at some point, we wouldn't have to take it from them. simple mm. as yeah. tanks. Go <laughs> the rumble of yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But it's, I think we can at least recognise that, that the Corbyn project um, has provided foundations for strong foundations for that rebuilding exercise. Um, well, I
0: mean, what, if you think of the reaction we get in the political education work that we do when, we, when, we're, when we're invited over to. We're doing more politi- el- political education work in England now than we are in Ireland, but that's another debate for another day. But um, The reaction you get is, why have we not done this before? Where can we get more of this? Why did I not know this? Why have I not heard this critique before? Even the critique, of a left-wing critique of the EU, for instance, people don't know what it is, they've never heard it, they don't know the detail of it. And when you present it to them, they go, fuck, you know, you might be right, I never thought of it like that. So political education is, is clearly central to all of this. So there's, there's and, and the, the Corbyn th- phenomenon has opened up space in some areas, within that party but also within the Labour movement to start having that debate and start pressing on political education. But it's peripheral and it's it's kind of an, it's a minority influence at the moment. Mm. It's not happening. Case, all, it's uh, not happening in all the places it needs to be happening, that's yeah. the issue.
1: The case for socialism wasn't one within the unions or within uh the party necessarily in advance of carbonism. You know, that work wasn't really done. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. We we'll turn to Scotland, um in Scotland the SNP took forty nine out of a possible 55-something something seats, um, on the basis of its anti-Brexit stance, but also promising um, that Sturgeon promising that they should fight for a second Scottish independence referendum. So can we accept that Scotland's probably gone at this stage? Um, and if so, does the future of Labour politics lie in building a class-based alternative, radical alternative... To the SNP, to the Scottish, what will become Scottish establishment in that? Couple of, couple, in that things, couple of things
0: there. The first thing was the surprise because listening to people who were canvassing for Labour and working for Labour over in Scotland, in the Labour movement, we've done a wee bit of work over there. Yeah. They thought they were going to win a few seats. They thought they were going to get a wee push, you know, a wee pushback, and they got nothing. Mm. I mean, they got really trounced in Scotland. That was a bigger surprise to me because the, you know, that kind of the, the rumours you were hearing Labour was going to have some sort of comeback. And they didn't get fucking anything. So, I think Labour's gone. In Scotland, I don't think there's any chance for them. In terms of the referendum, if there was a different Prime Minister, Scotland would stay in the United Kingdom. But see, with Johnson, I, he's, he's, I think he, I think it's nailed on that they'll, they'll go at some point. And I don't think he actually gives a fuck. I think he'd be quite happy to see Scotland go. Truthfully, I don't, he's not a unionist.
1: Many well, say to Tory Scotland, in Scotland, a handful. Yeah, a handful now, half a dozen or something. Like. Um,
2: yeah, I, I, don't, I see it slightly differently. I wouldn't write off Labour in the future. Um, because of of Johnson um, and because I don't think uh, Sturgeon has any remote chance of getting a referendum um, on Scottish independence and
0: right, I guarantee she does in the next three years from him right. I okay. think
1: she will as well but and one of the reasons why is because we're seeing mass mobilizations Sco- on the streets of Scotland again yeah. for Scottish independence um, Labour, Labour's response um, has been to advocate a constitutional convention to talk about Devo Max. I mean, Jesus Christ, like, think that argument is long lost, really. They're misreading the situation entirely. They just have to give up on that. I think no, if, no, if, if, if Scottish Labour were to have any future, they would accept that the Scottish people want self-determination. They, they in all likelihood, want independence um, and to base their politics on that. You disagree? No.
2: No, I, I don't disagree with it actually. But what I'm saying is that uh, I mean when when you write off political parties and say they're finished, um, look at Fianna Fall after two thousand and eight uh, and SDLP, and you know I I, I just think it's it's. It, it's, um...
0: But Labour to, Labour, if Labour are to survive in Scotland, they'll have to pivot to becoming a nationalist party of some kind. And, I mean, being a unionist party in Scotland as Labour yeah. isn't going to work for them in the next five no. or ten years. That's the point I'm making. I'm yeah. not saying Scottish Labour is going to disappear, but it won't be Scottish, there won't be They're, a unionist party, which it currently no. is. They're
1: no. not going to win any support on the basis of advocating for the union. No, Certainly not, so. not under a uh, Johnson government. Um,
0: the, I mean, the last hope for that Labour unionist... Um, point of view was was a Corbyn government, and it's gone. And you might you might have a Tory government for fucking ten years. So within that ten yeah. year period, if you're asking, is it going to be a, a referendum and an ind- independence? I would, I would I would lay a bet on yes.
1: On the day after the election result, on the Friday, there were mass mobilisations on the streets of Scotland, demanding Scottish independence. I can only see those growing mm-hmm. as Scotland becomes a sort of point of confrontation between the. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Uh, the SNP and the and the Tories we'll, we'll briefly tur- turn to the North do we have to? way briefly
2: do we have to? it's not the place where we live
1: we'll give the North a couple of minutes what um, were the big stories emerging from the, the North Stephen? oh
0: uh, the big story well I suppose North Belfast was the biggest it was the shock wasn't it like I um, know does losing his seat which pleases an awful lot of people across the world um, but, Do you um, think it was
2: that bigger shock?
0: No, kind of everyone expected it this time. I think because of the tactical voting and then the deals between the parties, it was kind of it was guaranteed, really, wasn't it? You know what I mean? And same for Claire Hannah and South Belfast. It was kind of people expected those two to win those two seats. Perhaps the biggest shock was the alliance uh, in North Down, in, in, in uh, that seat there in, the, in, in um, your woman's. What's your name what was her name again? Fuck me. Herman? Man, me no.
2: Oh, so, Sylvia Sylvia, was, Sylvia her- her- Yeah, Herman.
0: Yeah. That was the biggest shock to see. Same guy. Farrick is clearly stole thousands or got thousands
1: of votes from from uh, off the union or union's voters you know so okay we'll, uh, i will start with alliance um alliance what they recorded something like nine percent growth I mean, you probably looked at the local and european elections of earlier this year and thought that this is just sort of a blip um alliance you know they've, they've secured that remain protest vote mm-hmm. but there seems to be a more of a, a sense of permanence about the alliances support now particularly because they're winning support from the dup um, they're not just replacing the UUP as a party mm, of, as, as of a party politics. of civic uh, agnostic sort of unionism, but they're taking votes from the DUP. Um, in North Down, where they beat the favourite in East Belfast, where they cut, uh, Gavin Robinson's mm. majority to what a thousand something like that. In Lagan Valley, they parachuted in Sora Eastwood, um, who took thirteen thousand votes to Jeffrey Donaldson. No, that's something else, I guess, isn't
0: it? Yeah, well, the, the two things there you made the point of. One One is the official, official, traditional official unionist votes are going to the Alliance, that kind of liberal unionism, or due to the civic unionism, it's drifting to the Alliance and will probably stay there. The issue of the DUPs going to the Alliance is the Remain DUP vote going to the Alliance. Whether that stays with the Alliance or just back to the DUP at the next Assembly election is, I suppose, an issue for the Alliance Party. I just
1: wonder whether it's the same vote. It's the same mm. vote. Rema- remainers... Um. Typically younger, socially liberal, um, probably mostly from middle class backgrounds, concentrated in affluent urban well, thing, areas. It
0: comes, the one thing that comes out of all of this is the DUP massively played the wrong hand in backing mm. Brexit and doing deals to yeah, Boris yeah, over it's, it's, up it's, it's actually the,
2: the, um, the, the mirror image of what's happened in, in Britain, mm. um, be- because here it was it was a Brexit election, but it was a different result. Um, the one. Remain, mm. remain clearly won out here, um, and I think that I mean, I'm not so sure how many DUP voters would have voted, Alliance, um, but uh, if there's a shift in middle class, um, polite unionism, um, shift into Alliance, um, it, it for me that that that's temporary, um, because they'll be let down by liberalism again, um, and the trajectory. The long-term trajectory is still towards unification of the end. Yeah, but the point yeah, there is right.
0: that those unionist votes go into the alliance is precisely because they're aware of those tectonic plates shifting. Mm. That the alliance's surge in vote is unionists moving towards a new constitutional arrangement. That's all I would read that. My view is mm-hmm. that if you mm.
1: take remains a big remains a big player, or the the Brexit's a big factor in this. But I my view is that even when you take Brexit out of the equation, um, the social Political and class basis and generational intergenerational basis. It's younger people who are to- totally fucking disgusted with the DUP. All of these bases for the alliance's support is still there, um, and even looking forward into uh, the at the event of unification, like um, alliance can adapt adapt to that mm-hmm. to that scenario, um, and and just accept what the, the way things have gone and still proclaim to re- represent that sort of so-called so-called centre ground. Um, so, yeah, the DUP took a kick in. Um, their illusion of power in Westminster is gone. I don't know if any of you have seen Arlene Foster's tweet, which is a lot more conciliatory and um, humble than her pronouncements in the past, um, which said that we're listening. Um, and Pathetic.
0: I mean, they're a joke. They, I mean, they constantly paint themselves into a corner, and they go, "How do we end up painting into this corner?" I mean, they I mean, as a political party, they have no strategy. Mm. I mean, they're, they're, their only strategy is, "No, we won't share this place with nationalism. So be, they had a 20-year opportunity, they fucked it up massively, and now they're on the back mm. foot. they no longer there's no longer a union's majority in Westminster. Mm. Whether that happens at the next assembly le- uh, elections, I doubt. But the one after that, there'll probably be a, you know, a nationalist alliance, republican. Majority in in the assembly, so You know, if you're a unionist, a, a diehard unionist, you should be you should be worried.
1: Mm. But I suppose the is the is the worry not that the DUP even after all of this, the worry that the DUP still won thirty percent of the vote. Yeah, but are, <laughs> so that know, core hardline unionist support. Yeah, but it was only thirty percent.
2: Look
0: at it uh, differently. Seventy percent didn't vote for the
2: DUP. If the RHA report had been um, published. Which probably should have been before yeah. the election what kind of impact might it have had um, and uh, as I suppose the other question is um, did loyalism uh, back the DUP in the numbers that they did previously um, the big question is what impact is the likes of um, the upstart Bryson having um, those are all questions for us. I don't think we've really got to um, well, the,
1: I, th- I think the the evidence sort of indicates that that loyalists, hardline unionists, did back the DUP. The DUP thirty percent; they were down something like six percent, but that was still their second highest vote share recorded in the last ten years. So they've retained their core support base. Um, the question, I suppose, for the DUP is well, yeah, is whether they changed tack. Now and try to win back some of those civic, yeah, sort of yeah. liberal unionists, or whether they double down um, and t- continue with the flag waving, and the, the hardline rhetoric. The new, rhetoric. Leader, who the new yeah. was, I suppose,
0: after Arlene goes, I don't, know who, I don't know who's in line for that. You know, maybe Jeffrey well, or well, something. Any p-
2: potential progressives have gone, haven't they? I mean, we thought we thought Simon Hamilton mm, yeah. was nailed on. He's gone off to Pastors Greener. Um, so I, I don't see any potential in anything progressive coming out of the DUP I think I'll continue to um, shoot toes off their feet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We spoke about the big story, I suppose, was John Finucan's victory in in North Belfast. Um, But aside from that, Sinn Fein had a pretty poor election, didn't they? I think
0: the biggest shot was Derry in terms of the UN, got 26,000 votes. Um, Eastwood, Eastwood up, Eastwood, up and Derby. That was the biggest. I mean, was a huge, huge victory for the SDLP. I mean, me like most other people thought they were done as a party, but they've only come back and there were two, those two seats. Um, and um, I think Sinn Fein vote overall was a little bit down, but um, Sinn Fein are a difficult position there in a difficult period in their in their history, if you think, because they've they've tr- they made that kind of centrist kind of bourgeois turn a few years ago. It hasn't worked out for them in the south particularly. Um, and their vote. I know they had won success recently in Dublin, there, but overall their votes down, and, and it hasn't doesn't look like it's going to come back. Um, and and if and if the tectonic plates that shift that are shifting continue to shift, you can see them being outflanked by bourgeois nationalism in the in the guise of you know Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. If they become the parties of the United Ireland, if they start articulating language like new constitution arranged on this island, then the job of Sinn Féin will be done. Which the hell? And they have done. They have made that turn. So if the job of Sinn Féin's done, well, then Sinn Féin's done. I wonder, as, as, a, as the party of yeah, nationalism, as the party of yeah. republicanism. Uh, uh, like.
2: I think it's also worth noting um, Chris Hazard, I uh, would have thought, would have been a shoo for probably an increased majority. Come under some pressure. And also in, um, in Nury and Armagh, um, It's that's probably not the name of the constituency, but... Uh, Mickey Brady, his vote was down as well. Very yeah, um, and yeah. So, I mean, they did get it, the, 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 you know. Did, uh,
0: I think the bigger issue actually in fine is, is where they're heading and what the next 10 years looks like for that party. So if, as we think, there's going to be some sort of potential discussion, at least about new constitutional arrangements on Zion in the, in the next 10 years... You know, if 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 mainstream bourgeois parties in Ireland start to be to start to lead that debate, well, where's Sinn Féin's position in that yeah. debate? I wonder. They what, won't be needed, really. Yeah, the
2: difficulty it's for them, I think, was that all of this took place in the middle of the most sustained period of industrial unrest that we've probably ever seen. Mm. I mean, nurses on strike in Northern Ireland is making headline news in in GB, um, and you know, uh, Sinn Féin uh, activists have to be on picket lines expressing solidarity with nurses where well, when they had the chance to restore pay parity they didn't do it presenting a penalty kick to their opponents so those are all things that they have to consider going forward. So
1: the election results have sort of immediate implications not not in Westminster where Remain is the Remain project's fucking dead yeah. um, but closer to home. Well no well, it's not, in in terms terms of,
0: not according to Caroline Lucas it's not <laughs> but we can forget
1: about yeah uh, but So the election results, particularly the DUPs and Sinn Féin's, have immediate implications for politics closer to home? Well, yeah, both, now both? They're,
0: de- they're desperate to get the Assembly up and running again, of course. Um, mm. That's that's going to be the next big thing, and it's going to be a fudge over the Irish Language Act. That's, it's mm. all going to be based around what that looks like, what it constitutes, whether you, whether the provisions of an Irish language act are going to be watered down, and of course they will be, significantly so that it'll have no impact it won't annoy anybody but it won't it won't meet the demands of our language community yeah
2: most political disputes i think are like industrial disputes they're usually resolved with a grubby deal um which (laughs) leaves the base (laughs) feeling um robbed or left out you know how sustainable
1: is a grubby deal though considering the been successive grubby dealings done between the main political parties in the north and on each occasion they've resulted in the collapse of the institutions North, never North Ireland isn't it.
0: sustainable, that's the reality of it. It's not sustainable economically, culturally, politically. So it's going to be one grubby deal after another until the inevitability of some sort of move or, or new constitutional arrangements. So, not a bit of, I think everyone fucking knows that, to be honest. So the so challenge, just, yeah. a case of managing that process from this point onwards. You
1: know? The challenge for the DUP and Sinn Féin is that both of them will now probably be desperate to get back in the storm mm. and, to restore confidence amongst the party faithful and the supporters they've lost. But they know the, that any sort of agreement on a common denominator is not going to be sustainable. Um, it's going to raise particular challenges for them. But
0: as well as that, you can't, I mean, a new, a new assembly isn't going to be, it's not, it's not a contextual, I mean, you've, got a yeah. ten, you've probably got a 10-year, extremely right-wing conservative government in Westminster. That's going to have an impact here, with you like you or not, in terms of the block grant, in terms of investments well, and so on. So things are only going to get harder for those two parties. It's going to get extremely hard for Sinn Féin in terms of implementing new austerity cuts and new, new changes and pri- potential privatisation of the NHS, the GP charges, whatever, whatever comes out of the Tory think tanks over the next couple of years. They're going to be radical right-wing suggestions and Sinn Féin are going to have to fa- face them down. And that means bringing the Assembly down again, probably. That's mm-hmm.
1: Sinn Féin won't want to be at the wheel whenever a new austerity programme is, is introduced, right. a new round of privatisations. Um, the only, the only whenever the public sector workers don't um, get what they're entitled to and what they're they're demanding.
0: Now, their only hope is that Dominic Cummings, that his his predictions for Northern Ireland come to fruition. I hope Northern Ireland falls into the fucking sea. Wasn't that what he said? Mm. That if that's the policy of the new Conservative government, Conservative government will be it will be a radical. Won't be a ra- it'll Be a radical Conservative government that will do. will do things that we don't ex- um, expect it to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I reckon. I don't think mm-hmm. we can predict what. They are. I know what it might be moves to get rid of this place.
1: And I wonder to what extent we're already starting to see that. Um, I saw this morning, Mel, that uh, uh, on Twitter or something like that, that uh, Johnson in the Queen's speech is going to make provisions that the British soldiers aren't prosecuted for alleged crimes and murders committed uh, during the Troubles. Um, so he's already setting out his stall in relation to the north so I wonder what, you, what extent do you agree that it's conservative policy maybe just to get rid of the north to force matters to the point where um, a united Ireland is an absolute certainty
2: yeah I, I would have thought that that, that that would have been a sort of a long term strategy for, for any other British Prime Minister other than Boris Johnson I think he could you know without a second thought accelerate that that process mm-hmm. um uh you know which which just shows you the extent of the the uh, the, t- the days of the you know what did they used to call them um benevolent tories the patrician know.
0: benevolent tory party. Uh, yeah they're yeah, well gone
2: they're well gone this is a radical takeover of uh, the british tory party and um an
1: english nationalist party at that
2: yes um and only you know um the only thing that can, that can provide any buffer to that or any proper resistance is what we said at the outset, community organisation, alternatives, political education at community level, all of those things. And if there are progressive political parties um, that want to hold up their vote, or want to shape what new arrangements come out, that's what they should be looking at. Mm. They should be looking and saying, how can we inform our base, how can we keep them together rather than leading them by the nose, because people are not going to be led around by the nose anymore.
1: Mm. There's going to have to be a radical response, not just from Scotland, but from the north, Um, particularly in the context of this industrial unrest Mm -hmm. um, and the the austerity that's coming down the line. I feel a little bit
0: bit sorry for the Welsh, personally. (laughs) uh,
1: Yeah, they're going to be left for the Tories, perpetual Tory rule. Um,
2: They had their chance in 1969 when when they invested... Charles Windsor as, as mm-hmm. Prince of Wales. There was no opposition to it. You know. So just to finish,
1: Stevie, I wonder whether you think... It's fucking um, the Welsh. <laughs> 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 they fought at Agincourt. You know Stevie, I wonder whether you, uh, you think that uh, a pet- potential agreement between Johnson and Varadkar is, is coming down the line in terms of a border pull. I
0: kind of think... When when, when you said that to me this morning about the um, Queen's speech and about the um, no, no, not including, well, making sure that no soldiers get prosecuted for crimes they committed when they were here, uh, that that's a sop to unionism, uh, to be followed by a bigger betrayal Mm. uh, with with Ireland. Yeah, I think that's kind of uh, the potential. I don't know, but I think there's a potential for that. As I said before, um, Boris Johnson's not a not a conservative and unionist party politician he is more of an English nationalist and he's fucking mad as fuck too yeah. and he's radical he, has, as you said he has a radical they'll have a radical manifesto you know um, the kind of manifesto that would have done Trump well if he'd have done it in terms of they probably will invest in those areas they probably will have a, a, you know kind of a manifesto that speaks to those working class communities but I think getting rid of the north might be one of them who knows over the mm-hmm. next 10 years. And he's going to be in for 10 years,
2: yeah. by the way. And the, the, there is a, a, a pending election in the South, in the, in probably in the first quarter of the new year. Um, and the results of that... Well, um, predictions are that um, the left is going to experience the same problems. Whatever left there was in Ireland mm-hmm. is going to be squeezed even further than the British working class. The so, smart
1: thing for for Acker I know, he doesn't really need to do it, but the smart thing for him, I suppose, would be to to just back a border poll, either to isolate Sinn Féin, mm-hmm. uh, marginalise them, or to bring them into the fold as part of any potential coalition arrangement, if he if he needs it. Um, we're going to return to the, the question in the North, because we've only given it a few minutes there in the new year. We promise we will return to it in the, in the North, because there are plenty of challenges and potential opportunities that, that lie ahead. But f- I think we'll leave it there for today. Um, where as stevie said we're on our staff too, so we're about to get tucked into the beer um it's going to be tanked by about four o'clock by about
0: four o'clock yeah. um well,
1: sean will be tanked by about half two, we'll two, be two in, bed. <laughs> <laughs> in bed in bed by half two um so we're going to leave it there but uh, be sure to join us in the new year when we will address some of those questions um that's us for now so i'm going to <laughs>